Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone here today. My name is Eric Sebastian. I'm our campus pastor over at our McKinney campus and also our lead groups pastor here at Hope. Uh, I want to welcome everybody that's watching online today, uh, everyone over at our Frisco West campus, everyone at our Prosper campus, which big shout out, uh, we are a week away from the grand opening of their new building. We're excited about that. Yeah. Uh, everyone over uh, with my home team, the McKinney campus, love you guys, miss you today. And then everyone here at Frisco East, how are we doing today? Nice, nice. Well, what a good weekend. Uh, it's Labor Day weekend. Uh, college football is back. Can I get an amen? Uh, NFL is right around the corner. It's baptism weekend. We're starting a brand new series. A lot of great things happening. Before we jump into all that, though, let me just let me put my group's pastor hat on real quickly and encourage you, if you have not yet signed up for a group, to go to hopefellowship.net slash groups. There you're going to find a list of all the kind of groups that we have uh, here at the church, and you can find a group there. Uh, you can filter by campus and do all that kind of stuff. At, at every campus except for the Prosper campus, uh, groups just launched this past week. So hear me when I say groups launched this past week, but also it's not too late to sign up for a group. If you have not signed up for a group yet, make sure you do that. Um, you can find all sorts of information there, and also, too, on this website, uh, if you need help finding a group, there's a button you can click there, and we can help follow up with you and and help you do that. And also, if you're interested maybe in, in leading a group, uh, there's a button you can click there, and that kind of starts the conversation for us to say, hey, if you're interested in leadership, let's talk about what that looks like and get you leading a group as well. So at every campus, they just launched this last week. It's not too late. And then at Prosper specifically, uh, you guys, obviously the grand opening is going to be this next weekend, and then we're going to launch groups th that same week. So you guys still have a week or so to get signed up to find a group over there. So all that to say, it's not too late, I need to say it again, it's not too late to sign a group, so go to the website and get signed up today. Deal? Deal. Well, we're in a new series starting today that's going to run through the course of this month over the next couple of weeks, and the series is all about the life of Joseph, and not Jesus' father, Joseph, because clearly it's not Christmas time yet. Uh, I know the weather's feeling pretty good now, but it's supposed to get like a million and seven degrees again in the next couple weeks, which is not cool. Uh, but it's not old or New Testament, Joseph. We're talking about Old Testament, Joseph. This is, if you're familiar with your Bible history at all, this is Joseph, who his father was Jacob, his grandfather was Isaac, his great-grandfather was Abraham. This is Joseph in the coat of many colors, depending on if you went to Sunday school or not as a kid, you know that story. It's also, this is the same Jacob who, um, you know, had everything going for him until he had nothing going for him. This is the Joseph, and we're going to find out, we're going to uncover this in the series as well. This is the Joseph who hits rock bottom, only to find out that apparently rock bottom has a basement that none of us knew about, and Joseph finds it for us. Uh, but it's also, the good news is, the hope is, that this is also the same Joseph who, over the entire course of his life, sees the faithfulness of God play out in incredible ways. And so, there's so many parallels from Joseph's story and our story, and I feel like in order for us to really grasp these parallels, we need to answer just a couple of questions. And so this first question this is for everybody, wherever you're at, however you're watching, this first question is for us. Have you ever texted or emailed a friend or a coworker and you didn't get a response? 
it's like virtually all of us, right? We've all, we can all say yes to that. Okay, that was an easy one. Okay, so second question. This, let's narrow it a little bit. This is for parents, okay? So if you're a parent and you're watching, uh, have you ever had to call your child's name more than once to get their attention? We're all laughing here because we know the, the comedy of that question. We're like, oh my gosh. If I ever get their attention on the first try, that's a win. Okay, okay, so let me, last question. Focus it in even more. This is question is just for wives, just for the wives here this weekend. Have you ever tried talking to your husband while he was watching a football game? You're like, this is an impossibility. And then also, husbands, why do our wives want to tell us the most important thing in their life when it's like fourth and one? You know, we're like, babe, I really, I want to hear what you're saying right now, but my livelihood depends on this first down, right? Like, I need to know. Uh, I want to know both. They're both very important, but uh, let's go in order here. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, but this, this, it, we're all laughing, and these are easy questions. These are kind of setup questions because it sets up this reality that all of us are familiar with. We all know. It's easy for us to mistake silence for absence, right? It's easy for us. We do this all the time. We mistake silence for absence. If I'm communicating, but you're not responding, it's easy for me to assume that, hey, you're not listening to me. You're not, I don't have your undivided attention. You're not responsive to what I'm saying. And so we, what, so many times what we often do is we carry that reality into our relationship with God as well. And we say, well, God, I'm praying about, there's this thing that I'm praying for. There's this situation that I'm finding myself in, and I'm praying about it, but nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. It's not getting any better. And so what we do is we assume, we, 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 it feels like God's going radio silent, so we interpret his silence as absence. And the good news for us is we're going to study Joseph today, is we're going to study Joseph over the course of this series, is that as we read through Joseph's story, there's so many times where it feels like, it feels like God is absent because of his silence. But the hope for us today in this message, and really the hope for us in this series, as we parallel our life with the life of Joseph, is that we can, like Joseph, not mistake, not make the mistake of interpreting God's silence as absence. Because we know God is always with us. And we're gonna see this in the story in the life of Joseph. So let's start at the beginning. Genesis 37, starting in verse two. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph, Joseph was one of Jacob's sons. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks, and he worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Yes, we read that right. Yes, his father had multiple wives. Yes, that's weird. No, we don't have time to get into that, so we're going to keep going. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing, a.k.a. Joseph's a snitch. We see this. Uh, he joked, but Jacob, the father, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his children, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe, again, or a coat of many colors, depending on how you grew up. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So this is the stage being set for this life of Joseph, and it doesn't just say, it doesn't just say that Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. It's like, we're gonna double down. We're gonna prove it to you. We're gonna show you just how much more Jacob loves Joseph. And Jacob gives Joseph this robe. He gives him this coat of many colors. And this coat was symbolic of the birthright 
the recipient of this robe meant they inherited all of their father's inheritance. It's like the Lion King scene. It's like everything that the light touches, Joseph, is going to be yours. And it also meant that the recipient of this coat, the one who got the birthright, the one who got the inheritance, was also spared from the life of labor and kind of got moved into the house and got to live in the life of luxury. And, and, and typically the birthright, the inheritance was reserved for the oldest son. Except here's the catch with Joseph. Joseph's not the oldest son. In fact, he's far from it. Jacob has 12 sons and Joseph is number 11 out of 12. And so his brothers hate him because the 11th son is being treated like the first son. And they hated him for it. The story continues and Joseph doesn't make it easy on himself. It says, one night Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain when suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and they bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. So not only does Joseph get the fancy coat, like he gets the fancy coat, but now he's having these dreams. And in this dream, it says that his brothers are going to bow down to him. And then he goes and has the audacity. He does the dumb thing, and he goes and tells them this. And we're all reading this story, and we're hearing this story, and we're like, you know, McFly, hello, McFly. You know, like, you don't, you don't say that. We're all thinking, we're reading this and going, okay, if you know you're the favorite son, and you know you got the coat, you know you've traded the life of labor for the life of luxury, and you have the coat, and you're the 11th son, and you're being treated like the first son. If you know all of these things, then why would you tell your brothers your dream that one day their bundles are bowing down to your bundle? But the scripture told us why he told them this. We read it earlier in verse two. It said, Joseph was 17 years old. This is not a knock on all the 17-year-olds that are here, okay? I'm not knocking on them. But we're introduced to Joseph's life here. And Joseph is a bit of a spoiled brat, if we're kind of being honest here. Joseph, he's a teenager who up to this point we've seen with his life has not had to do any hard work in his entire life. He's not had to work for anything. He's not had to earn anything. He's had everything handed to him. At this point, the 11th son being treated like the first son. Joseph obviously is very low on the self-awareness scale because he doubles down. It says, Joseph soon had another dream, and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and the 11 stars all bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him. What kind of a dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Joseph has this second dream. And in the second dream, all it does is reinforce this first dream that one day all of his family is gonna bow before Joseph. And with his brothers, this invoked all kinds of anger and hatred. And then it also says now they're jealous. Now there's envy that is being introduced to all of the feelings that these brothers have for Joseph. But with Jacob, the father, it says that it invoked wonder. 
a curiosity comes over Jacob. And it's probably because just a couple of chapters earlier in Genesis 28, guess what the Lord does with Jacob? He speaks to him in a dream. If you're familiar with Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28, that J- Jacob has this dream that God, God speaks to him through this dream, reaffirming the covenant that God made with his father Isaac and with his grandfather Abraham. And so Jacob's like, whoa, 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 I know God is a God who speaks through dreams because God is a God who's spoken to me through a dream. Is this dream actually going to happen? And so Joseph has these two dreams right back to back, but as we are going to see with Joseph's story, not just today, but over the life of this series, there would be a lot of detours. And there would be a lot of meandering with Joseph's journey from this time at 17 when he has these dreams to the fulfillment of these dreams nearly 20 years down the road. The story keeps going. Pick it up in verse 12. It says, soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. Told you. Snitch, okay? So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Shechem from there, uh, from their home in the valley of Hebron. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, how do you think they saw him coming, by the way? Because he's wearing that bright, fancy coat. They saw him down the road. He's like riding down the road in his big old fancy coat, and they're like, yep, there's only one person in town that has that, and we know who it is. So when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. I don't know about you guys, but this plan sounds a bit extreme to me. Like, we're reading a story, we're having fun with this story, and all of a sudden, like, there's a plot to kill. Like, I've had, like, there's been, like, family drama at the Thanksgiving table before, but then, but this is, like, we're going to plot to kill our brother, and then we're going to leave him for dead on the side of the road. Like, this is, like, a whole nother level of something that we're not typically used to. And, and, and oh, by the way, they're like, Dad, we're just tell, we'll tell Dad, like, I guess, like an animal ate him or something. Sorry, Dad. Sorry for your son. Like, no care, no, 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 nothing for Joseph. I mean, they hate Joseph. Joseph's brothers, they could not stand him so badly. They're like, these dreams are not going to come to pass on our watch. And so they make a plan and they start to carry this plan out. It says, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, I mean, this is why we all need to be reading our Bible, okay? Because there's crazy stories like this all throughout Scripture that you and I need to read about. There's all, we can't make this stuff up. Like the brothers see Joseph coming down the road, they're like, there's the fancy coat. All right, gather around. I got a plan. Number one, we're getting that coat. Like, oh yeah, we're gonna get that coat. All right, number two, we're gonna throw him into this cistern over here. We're gonna leave him for dead while we figure out what to do with him. And all the brothers are like, this sounds great. I like it, I like it so far. What's next? They're like, number three, we're gonna grab some falafel and some delicious cornbread and we're gonna sit down and have a meal together, all right? Family on three, one, two, three, right? But wait, what just happened? Uh, how, how does this happen? What are we reading? But this is what, but did you notice? What's the first thing when they see Joseph and they're plotting this plan? 
when Joseph approaches and when Joseph arrives, what's the first thing that they do? Strip him of his coat. Remember, this was no ordinary coat. This wasn't just like a winter jacket because it's cold outside. This coat was everything. This coat was the symbol of this family of who had the birthright. Who was the recipient of the inheritance? This coat was all of Joseph's identity literally wrapped around him. That the 11th son was being treated. The 11th son was now the favored son, the recipient of all of the inheritance. Everything the light touched. When Joseph put that coat on meant it was his. And his brothers hated him for it. They hated him for it. So the first thing they do is rip his coat off. Doesn't this sound familiar to us? And we think about our lives, maybe as part of your story, you had this wonderful marriage until there was unfaithfulness and there was lies and there was deception around the infidelity. And it felt like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you've been stripped of your coat. Or or maybe you've, you've poured your life literally into this company for years and years working for this company only to get fired randomly for something you had nothing to do with. In your identity, you're like, you know, I, I, it feels like someone has just ripped my coat from me. It's not fair and it's not just and it's not right. Maybe you're a parent and, and you've parented your kids, maybe with one specific child, and you, you've raised them, you've raised them to follow Jesus. And when you look at their life right now, they're so far away from that path. And it leaves you with feelings of a failure as a parent. You're like, my identity, someone's someone's taken my coat from me. The first big takeaway that we learn from this story with Joseph is that your coat does not determine your calling. And man, this is a whole lot easier said than done. Your coat does not determine your calling. This this is so easy to say. It's so much harder to do. But the principle is still true even though it's hard to live out. That if our calling is wrapped up in our job or in our marriage or in our kids or in our finances or in our successes, that when those things get stripped away, when when one of those things gets taken from us and it feels like it's gotten ripped from us, then inevitably we will crumble because we've placed our confidence We've placed our hope and we've placed our calling. Literally, I mean, our, 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 our coat is wrapped in the wrong thing because our calling and our identity can never come from anything other than Jesus so that in our everyday life, this enables us in our, in our everyday life to carry a posture that says, okay, if God is allowing this to happen, even if it doesn't make much sense to me right now, I can trust him. And I can know that he is in control. I can know that he is faithful. I can stand on a Sunday morning and sing. I trust in God. So that when we find ourselves in seasons of suffering, when we find ourselves in seasons of disillusionment and disappointment, we can remind ourselves not to focus on what is missing, not to focus on what has been stripped away from us, but to focus on what God has for us and to focus on what he wants to do in us and what he wants to do through us, and we see this in the life of Joseph, not just one time, not just a couple of times, literally over the course of his entire life. And the story keeps going. 
says, then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels coming in the distance toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime, so instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So his brothers agreed, so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and they sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. That's important. Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe into his blood. And they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Not our brother. He's not our brother. He's your son. Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said, that is my son's robe. A wild animal must have surely eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. And then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time, and his family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go down to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, last verse, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. It's a lot there. Joseph's brothers had gone from hating Joseph to now selling him off completely. Joseph has gone from the coat of his father to the shackles of a slave. And his father Jacob is now being sold a lie from his other sons that would leave him mourning the loss of Joseph for the rest of his life. We're reading this story. We're listening to this story. And we're left asking the question, where is God? Like, where is God? Where, where is God in, in, in the hatred, in the jealousy, in the injustice, in the deception? Where is God in the midst of this story? Where is he in the sadness and in the pain and in the grief? Where is God in the abandonment? Like, where is, does God's silence mean that God is absent because it sure feels that way we sure interpret it this way but what we are going to see what it seems like God was nowhere to be found in the story we actually see God is absolutely very much present the entire time and what we're going to discover in this series is that a famine is coming for Egypt and God would bring Jacob and his 11 sons to Egypt in order to protect them from this famine But several years before Jacob and his sons would come to Egypt, God would bring someone else to Egypt, Joseph, by way of Midianite slave traders. Several other bad things are going to happen to Joseph and several other unfortunate things and heartbreaking things are going to happen to him along the way. But God was setting the stage for the dreams that he gave Joseph at 17 to eventually become reality. We cannot miss this. We cannot miss this point. Not to vindicate Joseph. Not to make Joseph a success story. But to save an entire country from a disastrous famine that was coming for Egypt. Listen, this story and this series is not about the success of Joseph. This story and this series is all about the faithfulness 
of God. It's about the faithfulness of God. Even when it feels like he's silent, even when it feels like he's absent, he is still very much present. And we're at the very beginning of this story with Joseph. We're setting the stage today of the life of Joseph. But can we just, can I cheat just for a minute? And can I give a little spoiler alert? And can we just, can we fast forward the tape just maybe 15, 20 years down the road still in Egypt? And Joseph has gone from being sold into slavery to now he's second in command over all of Egypt. And if you're like, wait, what? Like, how did he get from here to here? You got you to gotta join us every week for this series because we're going to track all of how he got from slavery to second in command. But he's there. He's second in command over all of Egypt. And this famine has hit Egypt. And eventually, Jacob and his 11 sons travel to Egypt for protection from this famine. And they're standing face to face with Joseph. And not recognizing Joseph, they bow. They bow to the one that they sold into slavery years and years, or to the one that they hated and were so jealous of that they wanted nothing to do with. Not their brother, Jacob's son. And they bow. And nearly 20 years down the road, the dream that Joseph had as a 17-year-old comes to fulfillment. And Joseph is standing face to face with the ones who sold him off to slavery, who hated him, didn't have a kind word that they could say about him. And with all of the power of Egypt behind him to do whatever he wanted to do and to say whatever he wanted to say to them, Joseph says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. How? How? Joseph, in the face of his brothers who hated him and were so jealous of him that they stripped him of his identity. I mean, they took his coat. They took the identity away from him. They left him for dead. They sold him off to get rid of him what they thought was once and for all. Joseph somehow would stand before them and he would say, you didn't send me to Egypt. God did. You didn't put me here. God did. God had a plan all along. God was able to use all of this for the saving of many people. He would use all the messy parts of my story so that people could be saved. Including, and let's not miss this, including you, including you, brothers, that when you were doing that, God was still redeeming your story. And Joseph would look at his brothers and he would say, God's plan is not about my success. God's plan is and always is only about his faithfulness. That we serve a faithful God. That we can sing, I trust in God because he's a God who's worthy of our trust. And the second big takeaway that we pull from this story today as we're starting this series is Joseph chose his response rather than reacting to his circumstance. Joseph chose his response rather than having it be dictated to him by his circumstances. And Joseph, just like you and I, had no control over everything that happened to him along the course of his life. But he knew, I can't control everything that happens to me, but I can, control, I can control how I choose 
to respond when everything is happening to me, that every time something happens to us, every time we find ourselves in a season or a circumstance, we can, we can choose what we think, what we say, how we respond, how we act. We can choose how we respond. We can choose. Think about this. I mean, let's think about this just for a second. At the, at the epicenter of our Christian faith, at the very center of our Christian faith stands a man, Jesus, who chose to surrender to his enemies instead of fight them. A, a man in Jesus who chose not to defend himself at his trial, but instead to be crucified. A man in Jesus who, who chose not to save himself on the cross, but to die a sinner's death on the cross. Why would he do that? For the saving of many people. We read this story and we think, why, why would Joseph choose to trust God? Why, why would he trust God? Why would he willingly choose to follow God after everything that God had allowed Joseph to go through? And doesn't this sound like a question that we ask all the time, right? I mean, if bad things happen to good people, then why would I put my trust in a God who is allowing these bad things to happen? We ask this all the time and in many different ways. How does Joseph, after 20 years of suffering and circumstances, have the ability to stand firm in Genesis chapter 50 and say, God intended all of this for good, for the saving of many people? And I think it's because Joseph knew something that if you and I would get to know, no matter what life throws at us, no matter what season or circumstance that we would find ourselves in, whatever suffering or sadness or disappointment that we find ourselves in, that we would be able to, as we're walking through these, as we come up to these things, we would have the ability to say, this was intended to harm me, but God. This circumstance, this was intended to take me out, to wipe me out. But God is intending it for good. That God brought me to right here and he brought me to right now for the saving of many people, to be used by him for the saving of many people. So what, is it? what, what did Joseph know that you and I need to know? Joseph knew that the Lord was with him. Paul uses this word in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, when he writes in Philippians, when he says no, it's this Greek word, gnosko. And it's like this knowing that you know. You just know deep down in your bones. Joseph knew, Joseph gnoskoed, that the Lord was with him. He knew the Lord was with him. Joseph knew that the God who was with his forefathers, the God who was with his father Jacob, the God who was with his grandfather Isaac, the God who was with his great-grandfather Abraham is the same God that was with him. And we see this in Genesis 39. It says, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was the captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Even though luck was not with Joseph. Even though justice was not with Joseph. Fairness was nowhere to be found in the life and the story of Joseph. And when it seemed like no one was looking for Joseph, and when it seemed like no one was looking out for Joseph, Scripture tells us the Lord was with Joseph. And here's why this is so incredible. 
Joseph had no scriptures to go off of. He had no Bible. He had no religious literature. Joseph didn't have a miracle happen or a voice that spoke to him or came to his bedside. There was no angel that showed up and said, hey, Joseph, listen, just stand firm, okay? Hang tight. Everything's going to be great, all right? The Lord is with you. Don't, Don't sweat the small stuff, right? He had none of this. He just decided. He just decided, I'm going to live my life in light of the stories that my father Jacob has told me. In light of the stories that I've heard about my grandfather Isaac. I'm going to live my life in light of the faith that my great-grandfather Abraham had when it comes to following Jesus. I'm going to decide to respond as if God is with me. So that whatever life may throw at me, I can choose to respond as if the Lord is with me. And I believe, Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I believe Joseph made this decision back in Genesis 37. Back when his brothers saw him coming and they plotted to get that coat and to leave him for dead. And when they stripped that coat off of him and they robbed him of all of his identity and everything that at that point up to his life, everything that made Joseph, Joseph was taken from him. That in that moment when they threw him into that cistern and he was left isolated and completely abandoned and alone, that Joseph had a decision to make. Am I gonna be defined by my circumstances or am I gonna believe that even in this moment, even in isolation and abandonment, am I going to believe that right now the Lord is with me? And I believe then and there is when Joseph decided, I'm going to respond from this point forward. I'm going to respond as if the Lord is with me because the Lord was finally able to wrap his identity around Joseph, who God said Joseph was. And this is where the rubber meets the road for us in our faith story and in our faith journey. Because this is hard for us. This is hard for us to reconcile the idea of a good God allowing pain and suffering in the world, especially when it's allowed in our world. And so often we think that if the Lord is, if he was really with Joseph, then he wouldn't have allowed Joseph to be sold into slavery, right? I mean, if the Lord was really with Joseph, then he wouldn't have hated, his brothers wouldn't have hated him. And they wouldn't have thrown him into a pit. If the Lord was really with Joseph, then the Lord would have protected him from his brothers. And they would have protected him from these slave traders, right? And we assume, all of us do this, we all assume that if God is with us, then things should always work out for us. Here's what we need to know. If you were raised with that view of God, that thinking does not align with Scripture. And that thinking does not align with the God of our Christian faith. Bad things happen to good people all the time. Bad things happen to good people that the Lord is with all the time. Time and time again, when you read your Bible and I read my Bible and we open up the scriptures, we find people in the Bible who are facing overwhelming adversity and yet in the face of overwhelming adversity, they discover that God is with them in it and that God is with them through it. So here's the question for us today. In light of your circumstances, and your circumstance may be your entire life up to this point. 
It may be something that, is so, that happened to you in the past and it has so marked your past that it's hindered you from being able to move forward. Your, your circumstance might be something that is very present that is happening right now. But the question for us as we close today is this. How would someone in your circumstances choose to respond if they knew, they knew that the Lord was with them? On the surface, this is a very terrifying question, but ultimately, it's extremely liberating. We know how other people react to their circumstances. We see that all the time. We know what's been modeled for us, how we're supposed to react. And we know what's expected of us, how we should react. But, but how would someone in your circumstances choose to respond if they knew the Lord was with them? If they knew that God was up to something and that, that there is something that God was up to that hinges on our response, that hinges on our decision not to react, but to respond as if, in fact, the Lord was with us. And I'm confident in this, even though I don't know all of your story and you don't know all of my story, I'm confident in this, that our willingness to respond rather than to react is our best play. It's our best way forward. It is the way that sets the groundwork, it lays the groundwork for God to do something powerful in our lives and in our circumstances. Because just like Joseph, and just like we're going to find out with Joseph over the course of this series, there's more to his story than meets the eye, and there's more to your story than meets the eye. And your circumstances, your present circumstance right now, it's a chapter in the story. It's not the entire book. So how would someone in your circumstances choose to respond if they knew that the Lord was with them? There's more to Joseph's story that we're going to unpack next week. But for today, let's pray. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for another opportunity you've given us today to serve you. God, we thank you for the reality that we find in this story with Joseph. God, that our coat does not determine our calling. You do. That we can choose our response rather than have our circumstances dictate those to us. Because you are with us. Even in these seasons, God, even in seasons in our lives where it feels like you're silent, would we not mistake your silence for absence? Would we be overwhelmingly confident? Would we be reminded, God, today that you are with us? Because you're with us, we can choose how we respond. Not just so that we can get through whatever we're going through, but so that we can see others come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so would you use us in whatever it is we're walking through as you lead us and guide us to lead others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.